When ideas clash, it can make for a toxic environment. Tempers can flare and angry words can be exchanged. Alternatively, it can make for a depressing environment where we feel pity for the person we think is making all the wrong choices and we become saddened when they choose not to listen to us as we attempt to set them on a better path. Jesus tells us they will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother. It is a grim pronouncement, and yet it is the reality that many believers face in today's world, living with family who do not believe the same. This can cause feelings of sorrow and anger, so the question must be asked, what should we do as believers when we have family members who do not believe? Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Paradigm Switch, where we discuss modern-day problems for modern-day Christians. By sharing our personal triumphs and struggles in our faith walk, we hope to offer encouragement for you to continue yours. The Bible says we are new creatures in Christ, but in order to be different, we first have to think different. We hope you enjoy the episode. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Paradigm Switch. We are heaven's favorite podcasters and number one Christian podcast on earth. Remember, you can follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, like, follow, and share, and make sure to subscribe to us on all the audio um, platforms out there for podcasts. Pick your favorite one. We're on iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We're out there, people. So make sure you subscribe so you can get the latest notification as soon as we drop an episode. And I'm one of your hosts, Avon, and I'm here with my co-host, Alex. Hello, everybody. And we have an interesting topic today because, you know, um, I feel as though in our generation, we have um, in our families um, a mixed bag of beliefs, and they can even be our immediate families. It could either be that you are a believer in a household with brothers and sisters and parents and cousins and aunts, and you are the only Christian, or you can have the opposite of everyone in your household is kind of a Christian, well, is a Christian, and then you have that one family member who is straddling the fence or has decided that they want to walk away from the faith. And so we're kind of going to discuss on, in the 21st century, how do we deal with such things and how do we relate to one another when we kind of have this dynamic in our family? Now, Alex, do you have a family member that's like not a believer or deal with this? Not in my immediate family, but in my extended family who I'm quite close to, there are several relatives of mine who do not believe uh, in Jesus. And it's very sad because, you know, I know what their ultimate fate is and I want them to be saved, but they're rather stubborn. Uh, one is very intellectual, very sciencey, um, which is fine, but unfortunately that causes this individual to have a rather skewed a view of God and have questions and, and doubts and things. And then uh, there's a, another individual who, ha I mean, I, I kind of see where he's coming from, having legitimate reasons, wondering about God's character. He's had some really bad things happen in his life. Uh, and, and I can understand where the questions come from and why he, he chooses not to believe in God either. Uh, it, it's very sad, but... I, I, I try to talk to, to them both, but, you know, it's a, it's an uphill battle. How and about I, you? Um, I do have um, family members who are not believers, not my immediate family, like my siblings and my parents were all um, of the faith and all Christian believers, but I do have, like, extended family, like cousins and aunts and uncles who aren't um, believers of the faith. And, and I think this is a topic that people really don't really talk about too much, about how do you 
relate or how do you deal with family members who aren't believers and stuff? Because, you know, we've discussed several times in different episodes that there is a rising generation, this current rising generation, I think they're Generation Z, of who are falling away, believing in God in general. They don't want to associate in believing in God. Then there's a huge falling away within the church itself that um, there's millennials and um, other younger people who are leaving the church who don't want to associate with Christianity. And we've gone over that in several other episodes of the statistics on that. So it's more than likely to believe that, you know, in our households that we might have a divided set of beliefs within the family. And I believe it's important that we talk about this and talk about how to properly handle it and how to properly witness to those um, family members and how to properly relate to them. Um, because, you know, our culture is having this kind of teaching of universalism and inclusiveness and, you know, believing of all faith, which isn't biblical to accept all faiths as true. You know, this belief that, you know, you can do whatever you want to have a relationship with God you know, you can set your own precedence on how you're going to relate to God and that it's acceptable. And even if it's outside of believing in Jesus Christ, this belief that you can have a relationship with God, which we know through the word of God is not true because Jesus himself said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes un- cometh unto the Father but by me. Yeah, and this idea of universalism, it, we have to have a more in-depth discussion about this at some point because it is... A problem in in the church today. It is an increasing problem in the church today. And in fact, um, you know, Barna Research did a survey about this. It's kind of old. It came back in 2011, so 10 years ago. But at that point, one in four self-described born-again Christians believe that all people are eventually saved by God and that it does not matter what religion you were a part of. Wow. So this is this is universalism too, is a T. One in four so-called born-again Christians believe this. That was 10 years ago. I'm sure it's worse today. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's hor- That's sad. That's sad is horrible uh, because it's an erroneous belief and it's not biblical at all. It flies in the face of the scripture you just quoted. And, you know, in the episodes we've talked before in our uncompromising um, episodes, we talked about it's important for believers to make sure they stand being uncompromising in the truth and the knowledge of God's word. Because when you spread it to other people and you give them a compromised gospel, you're not telling them the truth. And if you're not telling them the truth, you're essentially hurting them. Love tells the truth. Yeah. You know what this is about, though? I think, because I've met somebody who thinks this is a, is a person who I believe is saved, but they think that maybe others who are not might be in heaven. I, I think this is a way to comfort themselves mm-hmm. when a loved one who is not a believer dies. Yep. And, and I think it's a way of, of trying to make themselves feel better about the situation. So they, they just want to believe in this lie uh, that there are multiple paths to heaven because they can't stand the thought of their loved one being in eternal torment uh, for forever and ever. So and they ever. deceive themselves. So it, they self-deception, yes, because sometimes people would rather believe a pretty lie than the ugly truth, Oof. unfortunately. And, you know, when you said that, it reminded me... Um, and I hope I'm saying um, the name right. I want to say his name was Carlton Pearson. And I think I've mentioned it before to you, whether on the podcast or offline. Yeah, last week, I think you brought him up. Yeah, yeah, Carlton Pearson. And he was a very well-known, like, black um, black pastor within, like, the black church. Even though all church is the same. But, you know, like, in with amongst, like, you know, African-Americans, he was a well-known um, 
pastor speaker of the gospel you know he was up there with like fred, fred price and like td jakes and like um miles monroe he was a well-known powerful speaker he would have like hundreds and thousands of people like come out to listen to him he was a very anointed person of god he started um believing in that lie of eventually we'll all come back unto god and nobody will go to hell and that kind of thing and I remember, and I'm going based off a faint memory and kind of on the spot, and I remember a documentary or some kind of um, information that was talking about when he fell into that lie or deception. He said it all started about when his grandparents had just died yeah. in like some kind of accident or something. And then his grandfather, I guess, wasn't saved. And so I guess he couldn't comprehend or, or accept the thought of his grandfather who never accepted Christ unfortunately taking on eternal punishment yeah and so he said in a dream that an angel or something told him well, i bet it was an angel <laughs> but it was, whether it was a good so. angel or not was, is a different question yeah but yeah he said he got some kind of vegetation visitation from god or some something like that along those lines that told him that oh his grandfather's not in hell is in heaven because we all come back to god he started this whole teaching of that and his church split and he actually fell like, you know, as a very, his anointing left and he didn't have that same anointing that would inspire or draw the people the same. Cause obviously God is not going to back that kind of lie up because right. that's not again, that's not lining up with scriptures, but it, it goes to the point of what you said that sometimes the ugly truth is hard to bear than, uh, than a pretty lie. And so that's how his fallacy and his heresy started based on the fact that he had a loved one pass away who wasn't saved and having to handle that kind of thought process of knowing what the Bible says about those who don't accept Christ. And I know it's harsh. If you think about it, it is very harsh and it's hard to realize. And sometimes it, it does blow my mind if I think about it too much. Yeah. I guess how do, how do we as believers not fall into this self delusion that uh, universalism is the correct way? I mean, we, it's not true. We, we know this, but, but how do we, how do we manage that sinking feeling knowing this person's lost or never going to see them again? Because it's very final. And it's, it's hard to wrap your mind around. I'm just, just thinking about this. Yeah, it, I know. It's very hard, I think, because I've had some loved ones who have had to think about that, who lived yeah. a very so long life. And then you yeah. have to just kind of face the music that they more than likely is not in heaven. Um, I think the one way to avoid living in that kind of lie and delusion is to be mindful who is teaching you. Be mindful who your leaders are. Are they teaching you biblical truth? And one for yourself to actually get into the word and learn the Bible for yourself. You know, I had some old friends back in the day. They were under some denomination. Um, I don't want to say it. They were under some denomination that was telling them a bunch of lies. And then the woman um, told me that, until she, she just said, one day she just got an interest. I'm going to read the Bible for myself. And so she started reading the Bible, and then she started seeing that the pastor of that church, that he was saying things that did not align up with the Bible. And then she had to come to the conclusion to say, he's not telling the truth. He's not telling what the Bible says. He's saying his own opinions and thoughts. But see, she could have lived in that deception unless she was active in her own salvation and knowledge. So it takes for you to avoid falling into that trap is to live in the truth, abide in the truth, stay in the word yourself and make sure you're around pastors and leaders who tell you the truth as well. And Christian friends. Yeah. We've said it before. We've said it again on this show. And that is the knowledge is important. The knowledge mm -hmm. is important. And in this day and age with a lot of uh, so-called Christians and their churches teaching these heresies, 
you have to go to the words yourself. You have to cross-reference everything that is said and see if it lines up with what is being taught. If so, that's great. It's a good church. If not, uh, need to think about a change. Um, and uh, the surrounding yourself with good Christian friends and fellowship with other believers who are of sound faith and sound doctrine is also very important because they can help you um, stay encouraged through all of this. Because I think another thing that happens when you know people are lost, they die without Christ and they're lost, the loved ones left to pick up the pieces are depressed. They're discouraged. Mm-hmm. They're like, I tried all these things to try and help save this person, and it was all for naught. And so they can either just become really generally sad and depressed at the situation, and I even think they can become uh, person. They they come to think that they have personally failed in their mission at the Great Commission because they're like, why wasn't I able to save this person? Mm-hmm. And I think the response to this for me is that you can't let other people's cho- uh, choices derail your own joy. Uh, and I know this is hard. I know this is hard because you love these people and you want what's best for them, but you have to remember you are only responsible for sharing truth, mm-hmm. sharing the gospel, planting a seed. Everything that comes after is on them. Exactly. Their own personal responsibility. They have free will. They have a choice. As long as you can spread that seed, that's all you have to do. Do not take on the other person's guilt. Do not take on your own self-guilt. You don't need to do that. It's you not know, your fault. You know, I was going to mention this later kind of as a closing, but since you're already there, we're just going to go with the flow with it. You know, like you said, you know, we carry that guilt of, you know, I didn't get that person saved and, you know, I feel responsible, you know, whatever you might be feeling of that loved one who might have passed away. I just want to say for the example, Jesus never took responsibility for Judas's decision. Judas true. Be- Judas, Judas betrayed Jesus. Judas killed himself. Judas did awful things. And Jesus never took on the responsibility of his own actions of what Judas did. Judas was under Jesus's watch. Judas was there to witness the word of God and was under good teaching. I mean, he he was getting the source of teaching from Jesus and he allowed himself to get carried away with Satan. And he allowed himself to totally reject God and denounce everything. He lost it all. Judas did, but Jesus never took responsibility on that. Jesus was, Jesus was just like, I'm not taking responsibility for that. I did my part. Humans, each individual human has their own responsibility and has their own self-will on who they will align themselves to. So don't carry that guilt. I know it would be a sad thing. I know I've been to funerals where you knew that person didn't accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so you, you can't help but have that thought of like, oh, man, I know where they are. But that's not, you know, that's not your responsibility. They had that ultimate choice. So don't carry on that guilt. Jesus didn't carry on that guilt. And Jesus is, was Jesus, is Jesus' creator. And he himself did not take on that guilt. Yeah. He yeah. left. He was like, I'm not responsible for that. Yeah. Uh, each person has their own choice. Mm-hmm. So if Jesus is not going to feel responsible for someone's decision, neither should you. Yeah. So let's just get into it. So how do we deal when we got a family of mixed beliefs? Have you ever had a, a success when witnessing to like a family member? And when we include family, we're not just saying limiting it to family. We're including other loved ones like close friends or coworker witnessing in general when you know someone who is not safe and how do you deal with that? No, I don't think I've ever been successful at this. Um, I'm a scientist. People want hard evidence, not faith in that community. Uh, it's very difficult. You'll I'll sit down with people. I'll tell them what I believe and why I believe that, why I even think science points in this direction. 
Uh, but then I will get responses like, oh, I'm glad that faith works for you, but it's not for me. Um, other times I'll get, I just can't believe God is so cruel to send people to hell. You know, why would I want to follow someone like that? And then I'll get, I just can't get behind a God that allows bad things to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's unfortunate. Again, I care about some of these people. They're my friends. They're my colleagues. They're family members in some cases. Uh, but you know what? Again, I shared my faith. I shared the gospel. I shared the truth. I mm-hmm. did what I needed to do. And it's totally on them at that point. The ball's in their court. They choose to reject Christ. That's sad. But I can't let that rob me of my own joy in Christ, you know, like I, I can't just be depressed over this. I just can't. I agree. I agree. Um, I've been there. I've, I have been as successful in the sense of like, I've seen the person like come to Christ and all that kind of stuff. But I will say I'm successful in witnessing whenever I'm able to even do it. To me, that's a success because I at least that's shared true. it. Yeah. So the fact that I even got the chance to chime it in, um, is important. You know, in my last job, I remember there was, a, I was sitting outside and I was like reading a book and I was just kind of, it was kind of my break. I wasn't hungry, but I was reading a book outside and I had um, a manager in a certain department. He came outside to kind of get some fresh air. And then he started talking to me because he sat down and he started talking to me and he was just telling me how stressed out he is, that his job like stresses him out and he has so much pressure to like, you know, meet certain obligations. And then he feels overwhelmed as a father because he has two small children and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, he's getting deep with you. Yeah, he was he was really like getting deep with me, which was really funny because our relationship, our friendship, professionalism, friendship or whatever was very surface level. Like, how was your weekend? Nothing really too in deep. So, you know, usually when most time people say that, I just go like, oh man, you just got to take it one step at a time. But I just remember at that instant, God like really put in my heart to like really share with him like some gospel truth. And I asked him, I said, you know, tell me, what, what is your spiritual life like? And he was like, what do you mean? I said, what is your spiritual life like? I said, do you give any attention to God to like help you with that stress? Or are you trying to do it all on your own? And he, you know, we went down that kind of rabbit trail and he was just saying, you know, my mom used to take us to church all the time every day. And then when I got older, I like strayed away. And, you know, I will say ever since I walked away from like Christianity and stuff and my faith in God, life has been stressful. And I was just like, you know, and I shared him the gospel. I said, you know, God wants to be involved in your everyday life. God doesn't want you to live your life stressed out. You're not good to your job. You're not good for your wife or your kids. God wants you to be your best you, and he wants you to be involved. I said, if you would give your time to God, he would make sure you're every, you know, just your life is stress-free. He would help you in that. And I could see on that face, you know, that that like helped him and touched him. And he actually came up to me a couple of days later and like gave me a hug. It was just like, you know, I really appreciate you like listening to me and like telling me like that kind of thing. Like that really touched me. I don't know where he is now. I left that job. So I don't know where he is spiritually now and everything like that. But it, it touches me to know that I was able to be an impact on someone like that and to share the gospel in love like that. I've had unsuccessful moments um, too, where people have rejected it and laughed in my face and all that kind of stuff. I think we all have stories like that, but I've experienced that as well. So you make a good point though. It's a success just to spread the gospel. It doesn't have to necessarily take root. The success is that you were bold enough and courageous enough to stand up against perhaps what could be social persecution Mm -hmm. And just state the truth like that. Because some people are scared. Especially, yeah, some people are scared. Especially if you, because I, I knew a girl in college. She was the only Christian in her home. And so her family grew up atheist or as atheists. And so she was the only Christian in her home and she had to combat that and stuff. Yeah, and I know so, somebody like that too. Yeah. So when you have that kind of situation, you need to lean on the Holy Ghost to give you strength to stand up for what it is right. So that's one way how you deal when you have a family of mixed belief. You got to depend on the Holy Ghost to give you strength 
to give you that boldness, you know, the disciples in Acts 4, when they were going through problems, they prayed for the Holy Ghost to give them boldness and empower them to keep spreading the gospel and stuff. So what you need to be able to deal with a family with mixed beliefs outside of Jesus Christ, you need knowledge to make sure you stay on course. And you need to make sure that you have the Holy Ghost giving you that boldness and empowerment to stand up and to do what's right and to say it when you need to witness and the timing of it, too. That's important, too, is the timing of it. So, yeah. So you mentioned here one of the ways to effectively witness to our unbelieving family members is the first step is to pray. Yes. Did you talk about Matthew 9, 35 through 38? So tell us a little bit about that. Well, how about you read it first, and then I'll go in for it. Or I will just read it. Okay. (laughs) So from the NIV version, uh, this is titled Under the Workers Are Few. And scripture goes like this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So, you know, so we see in these scriptures that Jesus was out spreading the gospel, witnessing and, you know, spreading the gospel about the kingdom, that the kingdom of God is here. And he saw that many hearts and souls were ready for the plunder. And his instructions were to his people, the instructions that were, that was, that he gave to his people were to first ask the master Um, which is another way of saying praying, you know, asking, praying, another way to say pray. Um, He prays, and he says to pray that he sends workers into the harvest field. And here's the paradigm switch of this. What if you are not the one meant to reach your family members or whoever you're trying to reach? What if you're not the one who's supposed to do it? Um, In this parable, Christ did not say to his disciples, pray that he sends you. He says... So this is, by the way, let's back up a little bit just to describe this. So in this parable... um, Jesus is saying the harvest is plentiful. This is like the soul harvest, like people mm-hmm. bringing, spreading the gospel and harvesting believers is basically what this is about. Right? Yeah. Uh, or harvest is people accepting God, right? The time is now. Yes. And then he says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore the Lord is God, mm-hmm. uh, to send out workers, these are other believers, into the harvest field to help bring about the good news. I, I think it's just important we explain the parable, because sometimes, you know, parables can be confusing, you know. No, that's you a good don't point. don't really know what you're talking about. That's a good point. Sometimes I just assume people know. Yeah. <laughs> But you are quite correct when you say Jesus did not say you are the person who is supposed to be going to the harvest. He said pray that the Father will send others yeah. to the harvest. And that might not be you. You're correct about that. It might not be you. No, um, the workers... So when you're doing what harvest, you know, you need a skilled person to harvest particular vegetation because, yes. you know, the way you harvest cucumbers is not the same way you harvest um, corn or it's not the same way you would harvest peas. You know, you have to be very delicate when you're harvesting. You can't just come in there and just whacking and all that <laughs> kind of stuff and yanking. You might destroy the harvest. And so... The reason why Jesus says, pray that the Lord of the harvest send workers, you first need to pray that the Lord sends a worker who is skilled to harvest that particular fruit, who might be a human who's of a particular lifestyle or who's a particular of a particular cultural background stuff. That might not be you. You know, you might, let's just say someone that you're trying to reach comes from a background of, you know, being involved in like the occult and witchcraft. Even though I know about Jesus, I don't really know too much deeply about that occult witchcraft life. So it would be hard for me to witness to a person who is in that lifestyle to come out of it. Sure, I can say, you know, Jesus loves them and that Jesus is the way, truth, and the life. 
but it would be a more profitable profitable thing of someone who is from that occult life to be able to reach out to the person to be able to call them out because they can connect to one another. And then that person who's already a Christian that came out of that lifestyle, they know the life and he, they know what it takes to reach to a person who is from that lifestyle. So the same way from like harvesting cucumbers and corn, you need a particular person who's skilled in that area instead of you. And this might be a family member, even though like you have brothers and I, you have a brother, I have a brothers and sisters. We might have grown up in the same house under the same parents, but we are all individually different people. The same way Christ means to me or the way to reach Christ to me is not going to be the same as my brothers or my sister. We all, it all has to be done delicately and um, in a special way. I, I agree. I have found uh, over the course of my life as a believer that it is. It can be very hard to reach people who have life experiences that I do not have. Yeah. Uh, for example, I find it a little bit more difficult to, you know, discuss these kinds of things with people of other faith. I don't have that background. I did not grow up in a mosque or in a synagogue or in a, a Buddhist temple, so I. I don't know if I am as equipped to reach somebody from that background as I would be somebody who's a scientist. Yeah. I understand science very well. I understand how science points to the existence of God. I also know a little bit about history, so I can use historical um, documents and historical events to point towards Jesus as Messiah. So I'm much more comfortable talking to somebody who is from that background than I am somebody who is from this other faith that I don't really know very much about mm -hmm. and so i think i think you're right you know sometimes uh you might be better suited reaching other people and you pray that jesus will send the right person to reach that individual and maybe he will work supernaturally in you through yeah. the holy spirit so that you it's can not impossible equipped. it's not impossible that is true uh but maybe it won't go that way and so I don't think as believers we should have this expectation, oh, everything is on me necessarily. Your job is to spread the gospel uh, the best way that you can. And, you know, if the Spirit leads you somewhere else, that's great. Uh, but you don't have to save everybody, I don't think. That's, that's not necessary. You can't reach everybody. You can't reach everybody. Be because, one, statistically, not everyone would like you. So, one, not everyone's right. even going to listen to you. So, that's statistic. And then when I was writing this, I was thinking about that scripture that Jesus said, you know, essentially that um, an only place a prophet is not respected is in his own home. So, that made me think of that, you know, especially for people who come from the reverse of our upbringing of they are the only Christian in their household. They know you from square one, day one, so it might be pretty hard for them to see you in this new light as a Christian child of God, you know, kind of thing. They, you know, they're always going to reference, you know, your past, what you did, and all that kind of stuff, you know, because your family or that best friend you've known for 30 years knows you deeply. So sometimes it might be hard for them to see you in that new lightness of Christ. So that's why the, I say the first step when you're trying to reach out or deal with having a family member who is of a different face, you first need to pray because... First of all, realize, realize that, well, I'll get into that later. I want to say that for the next point. But first thing you need to do is that you need to pray. You need to pray that God would send the right people to them to hear and to receive his message of the gospel. And then if it's you, whether, you know, that's, that's your sibling, that's your son, that's your daughter, you know, that, you know, that's you, uh, that if God's going to use you, pray that he helps you to do it right. I would also like to piggyback off of this. And you talk about 
a person who grew up not in the church and then becomes a believer and goes back to talk to their family about this, um, don't be condescending oh. <laughs> when you discuss these things with the family. There is someone I know who he decided to become a different denomination than I grew up with him in. And then I think sometimes can be very condescending when discussing these things with me and it's not appreciated. Yeah. So I can imagine it's an even worse feeling if you're not a believer at all. And yeah. you know, the person you knew grew up with, and if they're younger, that's also a bit, <laughs> so that makes it even worse. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you just have to be mindful of how you state things and you absolutely should not come about this in any kind of manner that can be construed as condescending. That's just my advice. And especially if you're a new believer, you know, there's an excitement that comes with it that you're a new believer. You're like, oh my goodness, I have salvation and I'm a Christian. And you just want to, you kind of have that enthusiasm of that yeah. newly, newly lit fire. That's why I said the first thing you need to do is pray. You yeah. need to get, you need to get prayer for God to give you knowledge. And then not only that, for God to give you um, a supernatural toughness, because you're going to hit rejection, rejection. And so you can't let that stop you. So you first need to have, you first step you need to do, you hit, you see a loved one, a friend, family that you um, are seeking God to intervene in their life to reach out to. First thing you need to do is pray. Um, the next step um, is to relax. Relax. <laughs> I think, I think, I think people need to first relax. And I, and it sounds funny because this is a very situation. You want their soul to be saved. It's a very, very critical, very urgent matter. <laughs> why, sh why relax? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> I say relax because I, I, I think so many Christians stress out and I've seen it. They stress out about saving their families to the point, kind of like you said, of being condescending and just to the point where they're harassing their family, like harassing their friends and families. Or like shoving, and, shoving things down their throat. Exactly. Uh, where not they a, don't not even, an effective way to, witness i don't think where they don't even want to be around you they see you they see you come and they run the other directions like you know where will we come off like overbearing and condescending and harassing yeah and so people i think we talked about this last week where they're like oh they're shoving their beliefs down my throat and pushing their religion on me i don't want that and i understand you're very excited to spread the gospel mm -hmm. but I think you also have to be aware to not become overly excited in the sharing part of this because it can come off the wrong way. You want to be more low-key, perhaps is the right word, more like conversational. Mm -hmm. and got to sneak it in. Yeah, you know, this is what I believe, and I came to understand this truth, and I'd like to share it with you, and and blah, 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 blah. Uh -huh. and, it, and then just, I would leave it at that, to be perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. And if that other person is curious and wants to ask questions, let them do that. And like I said, you know, we, people have to make choices, uh, whether they're going to accept the truth or not. As long as you spread the truth, you have done your part. And then like you said, Avon, it's between that individual and God at that point. Yeah. And like I said, you just have to relax. N nobody has invested more in the well-being of mankind than God. This is true. No one has invested more into the well-being of God, I mean, in the well-being of man than God himself. That loved one that you are worried about is way more important than God than to you. This is true. <laughs> so This is true. I think I think you stressing out about it to the point where it's all consuming and all because I've met people who are so consumed about their daughter or their son or their nephew or their family member getting saved. And I get it's a very critical thing. And you don't want to you don't want to have your loved one be lost when they finally um, pass away. And they, like you said, it's a very critical, urgent matter. 
But at the same time, you can't carry on that stress. If God himself isn't carrying that stress, like when Judas did his business and, you know, fell off the wagon, Jesus himself didn't carry that responsibility where he became overburdening. We shouldn't carry it either. We do our part in the process, and every other person, every person has their own responsibility and have their own self will. So I'm going to relax and not stress myself out about it. I'm going to pray and I'm going to be relaxed about it. And you mentioned that God cares about people a lot more than you. It's true. And in Second Peter three nine, you know, Scripture says, "The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as as some understand slowness." Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. Exactly. As I would say, we only, well, I would say we only love, learn, um, love certain people as humans. God loves everybody. I mean, even that coworker you don't like, even that family member you can't stand to see, God loves them to death, through the death of Jesus Christ. So That's quite literal, by the way. Literal. And so that's what I'm saying. God loves mankind more than you ever could imagine, more than that family member, more than you for that family member. So relax and keep your heart rate down. Yeah. Relax. And then um, the last thing I want to say is be a good salesman. Now, <laughs> oh man! Now I've just been conjured like the cheap car salesman who wants to sell you the used, broken down beer. Obviously, that's not what you mean. No, no, so no. tell us what you so mean. So what here. I mean by be a good salesman is to have enthusiasm in your walk with Christ. You know, I have this one teammate in my um, boxing class, and what I one of the things I love about him is he has so much enthusiasm for anything that he does. I mean, he's really into biking right now, and so biking is a lot of fun. Well, my dad's into it too, but biking, like he's so into biking where he can pitch it to you like it's the best thing since sliced bread. He has so much enthusiasm about it. He has so much passion about it. And seeing that passion and enthusiasm in his life over biking or literally anything that he does, he does it with 100% passion and enthusiasm. And I think Christians should make it make that same thing in their Christian walk of having that same enthusiasm of like Christ is in my life and I'm living life to the fullest and I have enthusiasm in my life and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm loving it and just enthusiastic about it. Sometimes Christians are, you know, walk around, Oh, woe is me. I'm going through this trial. I'm going through this burden. Woe is me. Woe is my problems. Yeah, that can know. happen. Can happen. <laughs> That's not very exciting. It's kind of like, hey, I mean, why would why would I take your burdens um, with Christ and I already got my own burdens of just life? Like, what do I need to switch the name of my burden for? Like, what makes your Christ or your Jesus much more exciting. This is why I say be a good salesman to show like when you're out in the world, show that this enthusiasm and this life of Christ is really on the inside of you and live it to the fullest. Now, I'm not, I've already said before, I'm not a jolly person to walk around with like a huge smile on my face. That's <laughs> I don't think that's just my temperament or my personality to do that. But still at the same time, you can, you, you can show that you're excited about life. You're not a complaining person. You have stability in your life that you stay constant. I think one of the things I'm learning to admire about God is the fact that God is constant in every situation. God is the same in every situation. Jesus was the same every situation so just having that stability and showing just showing the good things about god complain a little bit too much about our christian walk oh i have to sacrifice this and i have to give up this and i have to you know let this go and it's kind of like why would i want that yeah no, i i agree that's not the kind of face we want to present to the world is christ i think for me what is good or, or the way that i go about this is just being secure mm -hmm. in and not uh, constantly questioning 
where I go next or what, what comes next. I mean, don't get me wrong. I do have some concerns, right? We all do. But just being able to rest and, you know, God's going to take care of things. It's certainly something I've learned mm-hmm. as life has gone on. And, um, and just being calm. Yeah. Just being calm. And I think that gets people's notice when, like, the stuff hits the fan and things are going crazy. And then you're this eye of calm in the ocean of raging chaos. Yeah. And it gets people's attention. They'll ask, why are you like that? And you can talk about the Lord and how he is able to, you know, how you were able to be secure in him. That's what I'm saying. I think, I think this, I think having God, like showing off the stability, because our world is so unstable. I mean, we saw this past year with coronavirus and all that, that things can happen at any moment and things could be so unstable and that nothing is secure. And I think stability shows people in the world system that in God's system, there's continual joy. There's continual peace that lasts no matter what the problem, no matter what the circumstance, that it can stay forever. And, you know, Jesus even said, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, but my peace. So there is a higher level peace that God offers for the believers that can that can supersede any problem or anything that they're going through. And, you know, Paul actually mentions this in, I don't know if I told you to get the, the scripture. Yeah, I, I got it up. I, right. I, I pre-planned this. All right, cool. So I have um, some scriptures, uh, Philippians 4, um, 11-13. And so this says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength, that him is Jesus. Yeah, and you and I were talking about this, of going through trials. We go through trials to show off to the world how good God is, that even though I'm going through these problems, look how I go through this with God and I come out on top. And Paul right here is saying, I go through lack, I go through being in need, I go through you know being in hunger and all this stuff, but the only way I overcome and stand on top of all of that is through Christ who gives me the strength and the power and the ability to do it. Just like also that parable about you know building your house upon the rock. Both who built their house on the rock and on the sand, they both had... Um, storms come in their life. So the one who succeeded was the one who built his life on the rock, which is Jesus. So I'm saying be a good salesman. And when you're going through problems and when you're going through trials, see that as an opportunity of, I can now show off for God to the world or to the, my unbelieving family and friends and stuff that they can see I'm going through problems, but because I have God on my side, I'm going to come out on top. So I can still be happy and be joyous because in the end, I just have to make it through the end. I'm going to be on top. That is a paradigm switch, for sure. It is sure. a paradigm switch. So certainly, when I was younger, I would uh, have the mentality of, oh, these trials are so hard. This stinks, <laughs> certainly. Yeah. Um, so I, I get it. That's, I think as you mature in Christ, you get a better mindset about how to handle these things, especially since in the beginning, when you're first encountering these things, there can be some of that doubt because you're new at the faith and you're like, oh, well, well, well really, will we get through this? I mean, is it really going to be okay? And then it turns out to be okay. And then that's like, okay, so it is going to be okay. And I'm going to, you know, go into the word and look about this. And, and then that makes the faith stronger as time mm-hmm. goes on, I think so. Or at least that's how it has been for me. Exactly. And, you know, these are just some of the tips we have on 
dealing when you have a friend, a family member with mixed belief or a coworker and how to properly witness to them? Because I think it's a subject that not too many people go over and want to talk about. Like, how do I relate to that brother who's really close to me? And, but they're not a believer. Like, what do I do? Do I support their, as my brother would say, do I support their craziness? Like in their foolishness, you know, in the sin that they're doing? No, you don't support it. And first thing to do, we went over is that you should pray. You should pray to seek God for that person, you know, pray that God, you know, that God will open up their eyes and believe it or not, God wants them more saved than you. Yeah. God has invested a lot more into that brother, sister, mother, cousin, auntie, friend, coworker, more than you have. You quite, just uh, yeah, quite literally, he has invested blood, sweat, tears, <laughs> and, and his very life. Yes, God has invested a whole lot more into that individual than you. So when you're praying, make sure you're praying right, praying that God, I'm working with you in agreement for what you want. Use me or to send someone for that person that is going to help them. So. That's one step. And then, like I said, relax and to be a good salesperson. Live your Christian life with joy and peace and stability. That's something I'm praying for is learning how to be constant no matter what, to not let my anger or let sadness overtake me when I have a hard time or a hard thing happening, that I can learn to stay stable. Jesus had many encounters he went through, but he was the same all the time through it all. And I want to be that way. We're supposed to be Christ-like, so I want to get to that level of being the same. Yeah, I I agree. For me, it's the it's fear. Uh, we've talked about this fear of the the future with the instability on Earth and mm-hmm. in countries just in general. But you know, this world is temporary, and we have to hold out to the end. And God is for us. Who can be against us? Right. Mm-hmm. So, hang on to that, and hang on to the promises of God. This is again where knowledge comes into play, and you will be able to find that joy, find that peace through the storm, and then you uh, will be able to impact lives positively for the Lord. Exactly. Amen. Well, I hope our listening audience enjoyed listening to the Paradigm Switch. Remember, follow us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, like, follow, and share. And we just want to thank you for all the support and all the uh, listening and enjoying um, the topics that Alex and I are going through. Remember, we are heaven's favorite podcasters and earth's number one Christian podcast. So next week, we are going to discuss what does it mean to be alone together? Stay tuned.